Okay, if you open up to the book of Colossians, we're going to be starting a new book today, and uh, in our preaching through the Bible, and so we're going to start right there at Colossians chapter 1, <clears throat> and uh, just one further note about uh, Vince, one, one of the problems he's having is that he's been in, uh, in custodial work uh, all his life, and... Uh, but, you know, he's, he's having, like, some, some health issues, some heart problems and things like that. So he needs to take extra rest. And so it's really, it's getting difficult for him to hold on to custodial positions. And um, so if you could keep that in your prayers that uh, if you hear of a, a job where they need a, a good, honest, conscientious worker. Uh, he's like me, though. He's not really good on the computer skills. Don't you? He and I are not going to be the next Bill Gates. So, uh, um, but um, but you know, hopefully there'll, there'll be a position. If you hear of a position where he doesn't have to, you know, work real hard, eight-hour shifts, and you know, something that would just uh, his body wouldn't be able to take. But if you hear of anything, you know, let us know, and uh, and uh, we'll try to help him out, and. Uh, so uh, keep that in your prayers. That would be that would be real good. Uh, okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time that He anoints the preaching of the Word. And again, we do this because God's Word is perfect, but the guy who gets behind the pulpit isn't. And uh, I don't care who it is. And uh, there's no we don't you know there's only God's inerrant, infallible Word. And then man messes that up. And so we want the, the man to be canceled. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. We thank you so much for sending your son, the living word, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead to conquer death for us. And we long for the day when he returns to make things right upon the earth. But we also thank you, Lord, for your written word to give us written guidance throughout our lives, that as the Holy Spirit enables us to understand your word, uh, the Holy Spirit also empowers us to obey your word. So I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man, and that you would anoint me with your spirit and empower me to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray that you'd give each and every one here the courage to test what is taught from this pulpit, or what they hear or see throughout the week to test all things with your word, for only your word has been tested and has been proven to be true. I pray, Lord, that uh, you'd open our hearts and minds to receive truth from your word, including myself, and empower us by your spirit and for your glory to obey the truths that we learn today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so... The book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians. And uh, the, we have the handouts over there, so if you want to get the handoffs to uh, the handouts to read along, that probably make it a little bit easier for you. But the author is Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles. Um, yet it's also with his assistant, Timothy. He starts out, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now, there might have been things that Paul, as Paul is dictating this, I don't know if Timothy would be his scribe or if they had another guy taking notes, 
or writing it down, but it's possible Paul could have discussed things with Timothy, but God is guiding Paul to record his word without error. And uh, certainly Timothy, as, as Paul's protege and assistant, is, uh, is way up there in the uh, early church. But it's, the letter is from Paul, but he's with his assistant, uh, Timothy. Now, this is confirmed by the early church. The early church told us it was universally accepted by the leaders in the early church that Paul wrote this letter. I don't know why so many scholars, well, I, I do know why. They don't, they don't love Jesus. There are so many scholars that question whether Paul wrote this and question whether Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. But the evidence is overwhelming. When it comes to the New Testament, the early church told us who wrote these books. I mean, one of the, probably the only book we don't, we're not really sure about is uh, Hebrews. I mean, we're sure that the book was, you know, God guided a human author to record the letter to the Hebrews without error. Um, but I doubt it's Paul. It doesn't have the Pauline introduction where he identifies himself, and the author says he never met Jesus. And um, the gospel was preached to him by people who knew Jesus. So the early church confirmed that Paul wrote it, and I, I trust the early church more than I trust um, New Testament critics who aren't always fond of Jesus coming on the scene 2,000 years later and they think they're real smart because they have a professorship at some major university. And so you have the Pauline introduction. If it wasn't written by Paul, it was written by a liar. And I don't think it's written by a liar. I think it's written by Paul. And this is God's word. Also in 180 AD, remember Jesus was crucified around 30 AD. Paul's writing this about 60 AD. So about 120 years later, uh, the Muratorian fragment was... Um, a fragment of a list of uh, the books in the New Testament. And there's some parts missing, so we don't have all 27 books. We have most of the books listed. Uh, but uh, Colossians is uh, one of the books that's listed. So this is very well attested. Now, the author is Paul the Apostle. He's writing to the church in Coloss. And it's around 60 A.D., Paul writes this while uh, in prison in Rome. And uh, these, there, now, I don't want to confuse anybody on this. There are four epistles, four of Paul's letters, that are called the prison epistles. Okay? That Paul wrote while he was in prison, 60 to 61 AD. However, there's a fifth letter that was written while Paul was in prison, but it wasn't his first Roman imprisonment. It was his second Roman imprisonment, and that was, that was when Paul was about to die, right before his death. In 64 to 67 AD, he writes 2 Timothy, and he says that the time of his departure has come. So it's kind of five letters written while Paul was in prison, but only four are called the prison epistles, okay? Uh, because during the first uh, Roman imprisonment, and that, that would be uh, Ephesians and Philippians, two books we already covered. And then Colossians, the book we're going to cover now, and Philemon, a book we'll cover in the future. And, um, and those were written while Paul was in prison. Uh, it, it's amazing how you can cross-reference things he says in these letters, talk, talking about himself in chains and all, and talking about himself being in prison, talking about 
you know, like he, he talks about the Herodians and the the uh, the, the uh, palace guard and stuff and witnessing to him. But it's amazing how you can cross-reference this with the book of Acts, which ends in 61 AD, and so much is verified. Now, when you get to 2 Timothy, which was written after the book of Acts, um, you're not going to get that verification, okay? And um, because it was written at a later, later time. Uh, but the location, Paul's writing to the church in Coloss. Um, it was about 100 miles east of Ephesus. If you have a Bible in the back of your Bible, you could see, just look at Paul's you know, missionary journeys, and you'll see in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, uh, you'll find Coloss and you'll find Ephesus. And so it was about 100 miles east of Ephesus in Asia Minor, modern Turkey. It was, it was a great city in decline, which kind of describes today all of American cities, but, um, but it, was a, it was like, you know, once a great city, and it's kind of going down, taking a nosedive. And um, now the church, we're going to find out in this first chapter of the book of Colossians that the church was probably planted, not by Paul, but by one of Paul's colleagues, Epaphras, probably while Paul pastored in Ephesus for a couple of years. So while Paul was teaching in Ephesus, he probably sent a few guys out to plant churches. And so Epaphras is, you know, not only planted the church there, this Epaphras guy, man, he's, he's, he's a pretty sharp guy. And he's got things in, in order and stuff. And when there's problems, he can give the good reports to Paul, and he does. But he can also give the bad reports. And there's some false teaching that he has to confront in the book of Colossians. I think the book of Colossians, obviously, it's the word of God. It's always relevant, but it's becoming even more relevant, we're going to see, because of some of the strange things that are occurring in our world today. Uh, but the contents of this book, Paul's letter to the Colossians, Paul had to confront a heresy, a false teaching that had infected the Colossian church. And it seems to have been a blending of an early form of Gnosticism uh, it blended Gnosticism with legal, legalistic Judaism. Now, let me say this. Gnosticism with a capital G comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means secret or hidden knowledge. And so it was like it was a view that there was salvation through secret knowledge. So it had more in common with like Freemasonry or Mormonism. You go into the temple, you go behind a curtain and you do secret handshakes and all this kind of kind of weird stuff. And, um, and so you, you had, with the mystery religions of the ancient Greeks and Romans, you had a lot of these belief systems, a lot of these cults that believed that they had a higher knowledge. And salvation was through this higher gnosis, this higher knowledge. Okay? And, um, and so... That was floating around. Now, what we call Gnosticism today with a capital G uh, probably came into existence about 140 to 160 AD because it's a, it's a, a Gnosticism, a salvation through secret knowledge, a cult that teaches salvation through secret knowledge that perverted Christianity. And so that's where you see the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Judas and the Gospel of Peter, books that weren't really written by those guys. These were pseudepigrapha, false writings, over a hundred years after Jesus walked the earth. And, um, 
and they taught heretical things. Well, that Gnosticism with a capital G grew out of Christianity, but it was very anti-Jewish. It believed the entire Old Testament was written by uh, an evil god, and that the physical creation, the physical realm is totally evil, and the New Testament God is a good God, and, um, and the goal is to escape the body. They weren't looking for a future resurrection. Well, that's in that Gnosticism, that full-blown Gnosticism, which came later. Uh, that Gnostic heresy did not, and I've disagreed with some leading Christian scholars today, uh, butt heads, even guys writing their doctoral dissertations, and I was one of the readers saying, no, you need to update this because... Um, current research shows that what we call Gnosticism today looks like we might have an amber alert maybe okay um, so what we what we call Gnosticism today um, was a perversion of Christianity so don't let anybody fool you and act like Gnosticism and Christianity started at the same time and you got to pick which flavor of Christianity you wanted. And then the, the ones with political powers, if Peter or Paul had any political power, the ones with political power won out, but the Gnostics have as much right to call themselves Christians as the Christians. I mean, the Gnostics are very similar to New Age type thinking, pagan type thinking. And uh, so don't let anybody fool you on that. But Gnosticism with a capital G is uh, a perversion of biblical Christianity. It could not have grown out of this because those Gnostics were very anti-Jewish, anti-Old Testament, okay? Whereas these Gnostics, these guys coming out of mystery cults and stuff, they were blending their views with, with biblical Christianity, but they really liked the Old Testament rituals and the Old Testament feast days and things of that sort something that the later Gnostics would have nothing to do with, okay? So there's many Gnostic cults. The Gnostic cult that influenced these people, uh, so these people were hearing the gospel, were professing faith in Christ. Some, most of the Colossians probably didn't believe in this, but they had false teachers in their midst who were blending biblical Christianity um, and, you know, Old, and Old Testament and the teachings of the apostles, and they were blending it um, with this Gnostic heretical belief system. So the, the fact that they held to Old Testament dietary laws and observing Sabbath days and feast days, you know, Paul's going to say, don't let anybody judge you concerning Sabbath days or feast days or diets. Those are a shadow of that which is to come. Jesus is the substance. So we should, though we know that the Old Covenant was from God, but the Old Covenant pointed not to itself, but to the New Covenant in Jesus' blood. So we need to love the Old Testament and learn from the Old Testament, but understand that Jesus and his blood, the blood of the New Covenant, is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. Okay? And, uh, and Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly for us. Okay? And then um, the law was never intended to save the law was intended to show us that we're sinners who need a Savior. The law was a substitute teacher to lead us to Christ. Now that Christ has come, we're no longer under the law. We're under faith. We still obey 
God's commands, but we obey them from the heart through faith in the Lord Jesus and through love for God and love for mankind. That's what motivates us, not us trying to obey God's perfect standards in our own uh, uh, sinfulness. So they, they focused on dietary laws, observing Sabbath days and feast days. They thought you had to be circumcised to be saved. Then these guys were like heretical Old Testament guys. They, they worship of angels. So they, they incorporated this idea, which was a very common idea for the Gnostics of all different flavors, uh, that between earth, between man and God, there were many intermediary stages. And what these guys did, they blended Old Testament Judaism and the angels. So the angels were stepping stones between man and God, and Jesus was one of those stepping stones. And we're going to see in this, in this book that Paul makes it very, very clear that Jesus is not one of many intermediaries. He's not one of many mediators. Okay? You know, he says, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Never demote Jesus. Jesus is not, I repeat, Jesus is not a local deity. Now, in ancient times, you had to say, well, the God of Israel is not only the God of Israel, he's the God of the heavens and the earth. Okay? He is greater. My God's bigger than your God. My God is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is bigger than the false gods, the demonic fallen angel gods of Babylon and the fallen, fallen uh, angels impersonating the gods of Egypt or whatever it may be. Well, I'm telling you, we're going to have to go back to that message. But it's not the false gods of the nations we have to worry about anymore. Believe me, evolution is in crisis. Evolution is on its deathbed. There is absolutely no evidence for life evolving from non-life on planet Earth without intelligent intervention. And so on its deathbed, um, the uh, evolutionists are coming up with a Hail Mary. They won't admit it, but intelligent design movement has shut them down. There's no way for life to come from non-life. In fact, Hoyle and McRamasing, two of Great Britain's leading evolutionists, evolutionary scientists, they reached the point where they, from their studies, they said, the chances of life evolving from non-living material without intelligent intervention is the same as the likelihood of uh, a tornado randomly moving through a junkyard and accidentally producing a fully functional Boeing 747. In other words, it's never going to happen. And so what are these Richard Dawkins types doing? Just watch Ben Stein's and Intelligent... Uh, um, Expelled movie, yeah, yeah. Very good movie. He, when he gets cornered by Ben Stein, he said, well, maybe, maybe aliens did it. Okay? And so panspermia, that primitive life was either was seeded on planet Earth from intelligent life forms elsewhere in the universe, 
either on accident through an asteroid or on purpose. And believe me, the, the scientific, all the scientific evidence is against that. There's not enough time for it to get here either accidentally or on purpose, assuming there is life on other planets, which I don't, is an assumption I don't hold to myself. Uh, and so if atheists, you know, I preached a message back before I founded this church in 1987. I gave a lecture on uh, secular America goes new age. And I included science in that category. C.S. Lewis talked about that in The Abolition of Man in the 1940s. And scientists are now getting all new agey on us. And uh, you don't believe me, just, just look at the CERN project. We don't have time to C-E-R-N. And look at it. those scientists, they're talking about maybe we might be able to, you know, they want to try to go back to the, the first, second of the Big Bang and this and that. And, they're, and they're, they're acting like, well, we might end up opening a portal and be uh, greeted by extra dimensional beings. And so basically what I'm saying is, um, even with the United States revealing things every few months, revealing things about UFO sightings and all, um, there are real things that are happening, but the, they violate, they manifest themselves physically, but these spacecraft violate the known laws of physics. So this is not natural, it's supernatural. And these craft appear and disappear at will, okay? And then they're able to abduct people and possess people and channel messages through them. And guess what they teach? They teach us that Jesus is just one of the many space brothers, and the space brothers created us, and the space brothers can save us from ourselves because we're going to blow the planet up, but we've got to worship them, and they demote Jesus to one of them. What Paul is saying here to the Colossians, what they thought about angels, okay, he's saying that Jesus is not a local deity. Jesus is the creator. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God who created the heavens and the earth. And so there's a big demonic uh, lie, a demonic agenda that is coming down, and, um, and we've got to be ready. And I, you know, I mentioned that at, at Thrive, and I thought, why did I even bring up UFOs? They're going to think I'm a nut. It's for young people in their 20s. Five or six people came up to me afterwards and thanked me. <clears throat> One of them said he grew up, grew up in a Christian home, was the son of a pastor, and uh, he was actually doubting his faith because of the recent findings that the, the um, uh, United States government was revealing, that it's a technology way beyond ours. We don't have it. It's real. And, um, and we doubt our enemies have it, otherwise they'd be ruling the world already. And, uh, but even among non-Christian ufologists, they acknowledge these are not from other planets. They're extra-dimensional beings. In other words, they're coming from another dimension. Well, the Bible talks about them. They're coming from a spiritual dimension. And they're deceiving mankind, and we've got to let people know. You know so so we've got some young Christians who actually thought... Maybe Jesus is just the God of this solar system or the planet Earth, and maybe there's other space brothers, and it's like, what do you want to do? Convert to Mormonism? And, um, but we got we to shout a little bit louder here. 
that my God's bigger than your God. My God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My God will not back down before any other God, any of these false gods. And that Jesus is the preeminent one. He created the universe. And, um, and so these Colossians, they, they took this form, the, the, the heretics in their midst took this salvation through secret knowledge, blended it with legalistic Ju Judaism with their dietary laws, observing the Sabbath days and feast days and circumcision. So you got to get circumcised to be saved. Worship of angels, legalism, and work salvation. This is all rolled up into it. Um, we got to be very careful of, of, of saying that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and then just constantly demoting him and promoting others to where he kind of gets lost in the maze. Um, no, uh, Jesus is not a local deity. The, the Colossian heretics, uh, Jesus was demoted to less than full deity. He's just one of many intermediaries. And salvation was through mysticism and secret knowledge. And so Paul has to proclaim to them that Jesus is supreme. He is the preeminent one. Jesus is God. Is God the Son become a man? He is our creator. He is our redeemer. He's the one who saves us. And he rules over the entire universe. Not just a small slice of it. Okay? And so Jesus is, the Greek word is pleroma. He uses that several times, the fullness. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. For in him all the pleroma, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. For the Gnostics, the pleroma, the fullness between God and man was made up of different stages. And for these heretics... It was uh, angels, a stepping ladder of angels that you had to go through. And so, no, Jesus is the playroom of the fullness. No angels are needed for salvation. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. He is the ruler over the entire universe. He is not a local deity. And then Paul is going to go on to say right here in the first chapter that the true gnosis... The true, he even calls it the epigenosis, the true mega knowledge is complete in Jesus. So anytime you think you need Jesus plus something else, that's an idol that needs to be smashed. Okay? And um, uh, in fact, I think, just look at Colossians 2, 8 to 10, just to, just to give you a kind of a spoiler alert there, but um, but Paul says, beware, Colossians 2, 8 to 10. Did I say Colossians? I say, so Colossians 2, 8 to 10. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. So he's not slamming all philosophy. He's slamming all philosophy outside of true Christian philosophy because we all should be lovers of wisdom. But we've got to reject the philosophy. Don't be deceived by the philosophy and empty deceit that are according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness, the pleroma, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is, is 
fully God, become a man. And you are what? You are complete in him, who is the head of all principality, or was the head of all the angels and the head of all power. And, uh, and so uh, Paul makes it very, very clear we're complete in, in Christ. If you think you need Jesus plus something more, um, to have a fulfilled walk with the Lord, then you've got issues. Now, if you can buy a book by a good, solid Bible scholar that can help you to understand the Bible or understand some false belief system and help you to biblically refute it, and it helps enhance your knowledge of God's Word, that's a good thing. But that don't, doesn't mean that you need Jesus, you know, the Bible, plus, you know, like the late Norman Geisler, his works. No, his works can help you, but he would be offended if you thought you need Jesus plus Norm Geisler to go to heaven or even to live the wholesome Christian life. So it's my job to help you understand God's word. It's not my job to make you dependent upon me and Jesus. It's my job to encourage you to depend solely on Jesus. And so you're complete uh, in Christ. So let's take a look at Paul's letter to the Colossians and look at the greeting in verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Coloss, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just a greeting. If I greeted you, you wouldn't have to preach a sermon on it. Paul's greetings, you, got, you really got to break them down. There's a whole lot of good, solid biblical theology that's found in them. But Paul starts out, this is from Paul and Timothy. Paul was probably the, the, the primary writer that God used, but I'm sure he might have discussed a few things. He probably discussed a few things with Timothy. Um, but Paul says that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will. By the way, if you want to find out about Timothy, read Acts chapter 16. He was a real godly guy, loved the Old Testament scriptures, believed in the Lord. He was just a teenager, but he was half Jewish and half Gentile. And so Paul realized he needed to get circumcised or the Jews would never listen to him. And so being half Jewish, he had to get circumcised. So this guy was serious about going into the ministry because when you're a teenager getting circumcised, uh, is a lot rougher than when you're an eight-day-old eight baby getting circumcised. But, um, but Paul says that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will. He's letting people know. There were certain people, uh, Timothy was probably one of them, Barnabas was one. Uh, there were certain people in the New Testament times that the apostles trained them and took them on as their colleagues so they also were called apostles. But they weren't appointed directly by Jesus. So you had the super apostles, or the first class apostles, those who were commissioned directly by Jesus. That's the original 12 minus 1, that's Judas. And then replaced by Matthias, who was probably one of the 70 disciples, also commissioned by Jesus. And then Paul, Jesus commissioned him on the road to Damascus. The rest of the guys, like Apollos, they were kind of second-level 
apostles. Okay? And so Paul always makes it clear that he is a first-class apostle. He has the same apostolic authority as the 12 apostles, only they were the apostles to the Jews. Even when they ran around the, the ancient Roman Empire, they preached primarily in the synagogues. Okay? And, um, but Paul, once he'd get, you know, once he would get a hint that they didn't want to hear him anymore in the synagogue, like people bouncing rocks off his head, that's, that's kind of, uh, he, you know, he, he could get the memo, he'd shake the dust off his sandals, then he'd go into the marketplace and preach to the Gentiles. So he was the apostle to the Gentiles. The 12 apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones over the 12 tribes of Israel when Jesus comes back to reign upon the earth. I think probably God's going to make, Jesus is probably going to have Paul over all the Gentiles and then guys under him. And, um, and we'll be reigning with Christ, you know. It, I, I'll, I'll be happy to get half a block in North New Jersey, man. I just, I just want to get there. And, uh, and by the grace of God and the, and the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, I'll be there and you'll be there too. As long as we trust, trust in him. But we can't be distracted. And, and, uh, but but he, he says he's writing this to who? The faithful saints in Colossus. So remember all those bad guys I was talking about? Those cultic, heretical guys? Paul's writing to the faithful ones so they not be deceived by the heretical ones. Okay? Um, and, uh, and so he's writing to the faithful saints there, and he wishes them grace and peace. Now, Paul does this greeting in all of his letters, grace and peace. Grace, the Greek word is charis. It means unmerited favor. Okay, it's kind of like saying, you know, when, when, when I say God bless you to somebody, you say God bless you to somebody. If you really mean it, you're really wishing grace and peace upon them. May God bless you, you know. I mean, what a, you can't say a nicer thing than that. By the way, ever since COVID, everybody's afraid of their own shadow. So I say, God bless you and be safe now. Now, they might think I'm saying be safe from COVID. What I'm saying is and COVID is nasty. We had quite a few people that have battled COVID in this church and all, and um, but I don't. It's not as bad as uh, our government's telling us. So usually, when I say "God bless you and be safe," I'm basically what I mean is "God bless you and be safe from the government, man." Because I'm, I'm telling you, those, those boys want us dead, and um, and you better make sure, make your decision now. Don't wait till somebody puts a gun to your head and decide, gee, am I really going to serve Jesus or not? Make your decision now. So it's already been made. Um, so when it gets hot in the kitchen, your mind's already been made up. But, but Paul would say grace, charis. Well, guess what? Unmerited favor. You know, we're saved by God's grace. It's God's charity. Okay? That was the normal Greek greeting. The Gentile greeting. They would say charis. So if you had... If you were walking by another Gentile, say, hey, Karis, Karis to you too, and they'd walk on, okay? That was the, the Greek or the Gentile greeting. Uh, the Jewish greeting was shalom, peace. May you have peace in your heart, peace with God, and uh, your life free of hostilities and, and frustrations and things dragging you down. I wish you peace. Okay, and uh, beautiful things. I mean, 
you know, as a pastor of Trinity Bible Fellowship, I wish, I pray for grace and peace to be upon our people. Amen. And some of, you, some of you came here today, and there's not a lot of peace in your life. You can have peace in your heart, peace with the Lord, but we still live in a cursed creation. Amen. And things go bad. Bad things happen to good people. You know, and, uh, but you wish peace upon people. But I'm telling you, when we wish, unlike the ancient pagans, when we wish grace upon people, if they're trusting in Jesus, they got the grace. They got the charity. And you got peace with God. Peace with man, sometimes you got it, sometimes you don't. And we're getting to the point, you know, this is not uh, your grandfather's America. We're getting to the point where if you got peace with God, whether you like it or not, you're going to be at war with the powers that be. Because they're declaring war on our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus. They're declaring war on him and on his word. And so what is our response going to be? It's going to be the book of Colossians. It's going to be that. Jesus isn't a local deity. My God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My God's bigger than your God. If, I, if Klaus Schwab was here, or Bill Gates, or President Biden, I don't care who you are, okay? I mean, I'll give you respect because you're a human being created in God's image, but you're fallen. You need Jesus. And if you're not going to turn to Jesus... In fact, if you're going to turn against Jesus, then I'll try to remind them, Jesus is not a local deity. If you fight my God, you lose. Okay? And it's going to look ugly for us. It's going to look like we're losing. But, uh, but there, you know, Paul wishes peace. There is a peace. The Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus. He'll come and shepherd the nations with an iron rod and bring peace upon the earth. And um, so he gave them the shalom, but they didn't speak Hebrew, so he had to say Irene. Anybody who's named uh, Irene, is, that's, really, that's what it means, peace. Okay? So Charis and Irene, grace and peace. He gives, you know, what better guy? You'd expect Paul to give um, a Gentile and Jewish greeting since he's the apostle to the Gentiles, yet he's still a Hebrew of Hebrews. Remember what he said in Philippians. And um, so that's the greeting there. Paul's writing to the faithful saints in Coloss, and then Paul thanks God for the Colossians. You know, I mean, and it's, it's kind of, you know, I bet they caused Paul, you know, Papyrus came back and said, hey, man, we got some really faithful saints in Coloss. Paul's like, oh, good. Yeah, but there's these Gnostic heretics that are teaching all this false stuff. I bet that caused Paul some, some sleepless nights. You know? And Paul can, be, can look at this troubled group, believers being tormented and harassed by heretics. Okay? And uh, yet Paul could still be thankful for that group. 
Most, most blessings we get are a mixed bag. There's like a lot of blessing, but a little bit of, oh, ouch. Uh, Paul would still be thankful. And, um, and so he's thankful. Thanks God for the Colossians. Verses 3 to 8. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there he's talking about two of the persons of the Trinity. So real early, the early church understood Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, yet one God. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls Jesus Lord. That's kurios, but that's basically the New Testament way. When the context is religious, that's the New Testament way of saying Yahweh. Remember the Greek Septuagint, Greek translation, Hebrew Old Testament? The most common way to translate Yahweh in the New Testament is kurios, okay? And so he's calling Jesus Yahweh, and he's calling him the Christ, which means the Jewish Messiah, the one God anointed to rescue Israel from her enemies. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it is also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of God on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So he's getting the info from Epaphras, and Epaphras is the one who taught them the gospel message. So Paul thanks God for the Colossians, and he prays for them. And he says that he heard of their faith in Christ, their love for all the saints, and their hope in heaven. Their hope in the, their future with Jesus. Their hope of a future inheritance. Okay? And, um, and then he says that the gospel is bearing fruit throughout the world, that many people are getting saved. The gospel is growing in leaps and bounds. Now look at 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Paul commends them for their faith, their love, and their hope. This is no small compliment. <clears throat> I would hope if Paul were alive today and he visited us or received a report about our church, he would commend us for our faith in Christ, our love for all the saints, and our, our hope in heaven, future with Jesus. You know, our church, we, we not only try to help one another with our burdens, but we also support missionary work. In August, we're going to have the great Denny Smith, his uh, daughter and son-in-law are going to be coming back and speaking with us in August about their missionary work to a Muslim country in northern Africa. Uh, Sam and Rachel Whitaker, their vill village uh, missionary uh, he, uh, Sam is a village missionary pastor, and we help support their ministry. And, um, and so we're, we're out there trying to express our love, not only our faith in Christ, but our love for all the saints. But our hope has to be in heaven, the future inheritance 
with Jesus. Our hope is not in this world. If your hope is in this world, you should have given up a long time ago. Okay? Um, I'm telling you, Luke, just watch videos of the CEO of Pfizer and Klaus Schwab, head of the World Economic Forum. I mean, these guys don't even sound like nice guys. Okay? Um, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good. But Jesus is not a local deity. So we're okay. We're content. We win. But uh, Paul, talking about love, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, it says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So Paul could say, even though the Colossians were being harassed by false teachers, heretics, they had faith, hope, and love. Through the power of the Holy Spirit being unleashed in their church. What a, what a compliment there. And uh, so Paul, he said, look, you know, I heard from Epaphras about your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints and your hope in, in heaven, the future with Jesus. Um, I mean, you know, just as a side note, obedience, okay, Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations. Okay? Christianity is a personal love, trust, that means faith, personal love, trust relationship with the Lord Jesus, the lawgiver himself, and that empowers us to obey God's laws from the heart. Okay, so when we obey God, it's not like we say, well, here's a command I want in my own power to obey that command. No, we trust in the Lord. When he tells us this is the way we should live, we trust him more than we trust ourselves. Okay, throughout life, we're always thinking, you know, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. And when your opinion differs from God's truth, you need to take your opinion and throw it into the trash can. Okay? And so we obey God. Obedience equals faith plus love in action. That's why Paul, after teaching salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, okay, right after uh, saying that... Uh, Paul tells us that we're God's work of art, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. In Romans 3.31, he says, Do we then, since we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, do we then nullify the law? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law through faith. And um, so... Uh, and then Paul could say about love in Romans 13, 10, love does no wrong for a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. See, we're supposed to obey the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Okay? Um, the Ten Commandments sum up over 600 Old Testament commands. And the first four deal with our relationship with God, and the last six, our relationship with with our fellow man, with our neighbor. Jesus sums up the Ten Commandments, which sum up all of the Old Testament laws, 
in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says the whole law is contained in that. Okay? So obedience, God, God, our obedience has to exceed the obedience of the Pharisees and scribes. That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. God wants more than outward obedience from us. He wants us to obey him from the heart. And we can only do that through faith in Jesus and through love for God and love for others. And that kind of faith and that kind of love only comes from God. Okay? And uh, so in other words, you know, will everyone who loves God with everything they got and love their neighbor as themselves go to heaven? Yes, but you can't do it without Jesus. You got to trust in Jesus for salvation, get indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and then he changes you from within. So for, that, for the first time in your life, you have the ability, the supernatural ability, uh, to love God with everything you got and love your neighbors yourself. So this is, this is no little compliment that he heard of their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. So the letter of the law is thou shalt this, thou shalt not that. The spirit of the law, though, you realize God's giving us these commands to give us guidance as to how our love for God and our love for others should be uh, practiced, should be manifest. So, you know, supposed to rest on the Sabbath day, and Jesus is looking at a guy and said, this guy needs to be healed today. And so instead of sticking to the letter of the law, he went to the spirit of the law, because the, the Sabbath rest was for you to take off a day from work, stop worrying about your physical needs, focus on your spiritual needs, focus on God, and then by loving God, you can love others. And Jesus was like, hey, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I'm going to heal this guy on the Sabbath day. That's obeying the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. Uh, Corey Ten Boom. Bible says submit to the governing authorities. Bible says don't bear false witness. The Nazis come knocking on our door in, in Holland. Are you hiding Jews in your house? She bore false witness. Her family lied. They didn't submit to the governing authorities because they understood the spirit of the law. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you protect innocent Jewish people. And they ended up suffering uh, for that. So we obey the, the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Now let me say this. Probably 95% of the time, when you obey the spirit of the law, you're also obeying the letter of the law. Okay? Because... Uh, you know, we usually, it's not like an everyday occurrence, at least not in America yet, for a government official to put a gun to your head and say, deny Jesus. Okay? Obey the law and deny Jesus. Um, but the worse things get, the more we're going to be in those moral dilemmas, and, um, and we need to obey the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. So remember that the spirit of the law, love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Now, if you got a Christian brother or sister or a kid and uh, they're living in willful, habitual sin, loving them means you're going to confront them. Because love, you know, love is not this mushy 
American concept, love means you seek the greatest good for others even if they don't offer you anything in return. And what is the greatest good for others? It's to be with Jesus. It's to be with Jesus. You know, like that old song, uh, Dion used to sing it, the best thing I could tell you is that God loves you and he sent his only son as living proof. I've been saved since 1981. If my math is right, that's 41 years. And I've never been able to improve upon that message. I can't give somebody anything better than Jesus. And so we've got to share Jesus with others. Now Paul's saying that you know, he commends them for their faith in Christ, their love for all the saints, their hope in heaven. You know, we, our hope has got to be in our future inheritance. Okay? Um, we went to a memorial service. A few of us here. We knew an old brother who was a powerful instrument for God at one time, and he just decided, you know, to leave his, his wife and marry somebody else. And... Um, and you know he made his choice, and the, the guy just died. He's in his only in his fifties, and so we were at the memorial, and um, um, and they showed they it was kind of like they kind of almost pretended he didn't even have a previous life and a event late in life. By the way, he turned his life back to the Lord. I was really happy about that. And um, but they showed all photos of him smiling with his new family, his new wife, and his new family throughout the 15 years or so. And, um, you know, but the fact is I kept watching that and thinking about his, his former wife, a disabled lady, and, and his daughter from that marriage. And, um, and he chose, rather than focusing on his future hope, his inheritance in heaven, he chose, he thought, the grass is greener on the other side. I'm going to turn my back on the Lord. And uh, eventually he came back to the Lord. My guess is he's going to be in heaven, but he didn't focus on his future inheritance. He lost a lot of rewards. And um, um, where's your hope? We Americans, it's easy to say, my hope is in Jesus. And then we start crying because our third vehicle broke down. We still got two more, you know. And with me, if my second microwave breaks down, I think, oh, now I know what Job went through. Man, this is horrible. And um, um, is our hope really in Jesus or is it in the American dream? And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm for a free economy. I don't think the government... I think you ought to, if you work hard and you make money, you ought to benefit from that, but you ought to be giving. God blesses us to be a blessing to others. Um, but for some of us, the American dream is our hope, not Jesus. And so you work hard and you make money, you try to be generous, you try to take care of your family, but your hope has to be in Jesus. You build rewards where... Here on earth? No. 
you build rewards in heaven. And um, my hope and my prayer that um, we will be people whose hope is in heaven and our future with Jesus. And Paul said the gospel's bearing fruit throughout the, the world. Epaphras, this colleague of Paul, planted the church in Coloss. And he told Paul about the Colossians' love for Jesus. And he probably also told Paul about their problems. Hence the need for this letter. You know, Epaphras is, Epaphras is probably telling them, every once in a while I'll get a guy like Tom Hoyle up here, so brilliant and stuff like that. But he'll say something that I maybe might have preached ten times from the pulpit, and maybe a whole bunch of people didn't get it. And if Tom preaches it and they get it, and they say, man, that was such, what a profound truth. Why didn't you teach us that, Pastor Phil? And the Lord just told me, just keep your mouth shut and smile and say, hey, yeah, Tom's a brilliant guy. I'm I'm glad he said that. You know, because it's not my truth, it's God's truth. Okay? And, um, And so I think Epaphras is probably saying, Paul, if I go visit them and write this letter, they're going to to say, oh, that's just Epaphras, the guy that planted the church. That's no big deal. It's kind of a prophet not recognizing his hometown. So he probably asked Paul, Paul, you do me a favor? These people are people of faith, love, and hope. But they got false teachers there. Could you write them a letter? And uh, I'm telling you, I want to meet Epaphras someday in heaven. Because uh, how many people probably asked Paul to write a letter and Paul said, look, I'm too busy. Get somebody else to do it. I can't, I can't do everything. But he said yes to Epaphras. And so I think we're going to just close there. and We'll pick it up at verse 9 next week. But Paul is with Timothy. He's writing this letter to the faithful believers in Coloss and um, and he's commending them for their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints and he's commending them that their hope is in heaven their future inheritance and that's my prayer for us that our faith would not be in our own strength our own ability our faith would not be in America that our faith would be in Jesus and that we would love all the saints. And you know it as well as I do, some of the saints are harder to love than others. Let's love them all, okay? And where's your hope, brothers? Where's your hope, sisters? If it's in this world, you're going to be severely disappointed. you got a hope in Jesus and a future inheritance. I mean, the day might come when you might be getting... I mean, it happens all over the world. We think we got the great American exemption. There's people right now, as I'm preaching, that are being beat, beaten up in, uh, in prison cells in China or in India or in Iran or in Marxist African nations or Muslim African nations. There's being people beaten, beaten up right now And as they're getting whooped, well, you know what gets them through? Their hope is not in this life. Their hope's in heaven with Jesus. And they will get that imperishable inheritance, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus won it for us.
Hope in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And love the saints. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord. And we just pray as we study the book of Colossians that, uh, that we would be able to take to heart the truths that are there, but that your spirit will also help us to apply it uh, to our current situation. We love you, Lord. We love your word. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that's not trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, that they would acknowledge we're all sinners. We cannot save ourselves. We deserve hell. But the Lord Jesus, God the Son, became a man and took our punishment for us, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. And so I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us would trust in Jesus alone for salvation and that your spirit would indwell and empower and fill us so that we could be people of faith, love, and hope. And that our hope would be in you, not in this world. And that we would love others unconditionally, not just believers, but even non-believers, even those who persecute us, that we would love them and pray for them. But our faith would not be in our own wisdom or the wisdom of man. Our faith would be in our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who will someday return and take his stand upon the earth to make things right. May that be our hope. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right.